As you know, the theme of Revelation is simple. Jesus is coming, and I can't wait. But he's coming in judgment. For, for the believer, it's hip, hip, hooray. For the earth dwellers who have rejected God, it is the worst time in the history of, of every, everything. Now, last week, we talked about the thundering hooves of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we saw the rider on the white horse, the, the false peacemaker, the antichrist, the pseudo-Christ, the fake Christ, the false Christ. He comes and brings peace to the earth. And you will see that the world is in such tumult that this peacemaker will be welcomed and it, the masses will just welcome him. But shortly after that, the red horse comes and that is war. And then the pale horse, excuse me, the black horse comes and that's famine. And then the pale horse comes and it's death. And we know that these things that are happening will be so awful that 25% of earth will die. And we calculated that to be about 1.7 billion people will die during that four horsemen phase. Now, one of the things that will mark the end times will be deception. Jesus warned us many times in Matthew 24 and in other scriptures, deception, deception, deception will mark the age. But it will also be lawlessness. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. We have seen this happen. Now, we know how easy it is for people to be indoctrinated. We've talked about Joseph Goebbels many times. A Nazi, the Nazi czar of propaganda in World War II, how he was able to indoctrinate an entire nation and much of Europe to hate the Jews. And he had the newspaper, he had a radio, and he had from time to time a cinema projection of what the Jews were doing. And he was able, with that, those means, to indoctrinate a whole nation and almost a continent and much of the, some of the world to sympathize with the Nazi uh, ideology. Now compare that with what we have today, 24-7 inputs. It isn't just occasionally during the week where something would come out or during the month that Goebbels would put something out, but it's every single day, every single day, we are hearing information that is indoctrinating people into a worldview that is anti-God, anti-God. So, the Antichrist is a deceiver. He will rise slowly and then he pounces on the world. Remember, Jesus said it would be the worst of times. From the middle of the tribulation on, he calls it the great tribulation. For there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. The people in verse 10 are crying out, How long, O Lord, how long? And as if, have you ever felt that? How long, O Lord, how long? Are we almost there yet? <laughs> That's what we say to our kids. You know, the kids are saying, How long? How, Almost, almost. This week, how long? Now, if you start, we're going to start in verses 9 through 11, the fifth seal, the cry of the martyrs. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar those souls of those who had been slain. Notice that there are souls in heaven at this time for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice. There's passion here saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Oh, there's more to come, folks. There's more to come. The complete number that's going to be slaughtered hasn't come to fruition just yet. Now, I want you to think about something. Some people think 
that this is talking about all the martyrs through history. I think that it's referring back to 6.8 and talking about the people that are being killed during the tribulation time. The reason I believe that is because in, in Matthew 24.9, Jesus gave us a heads up on the ones being killed in the tribulation. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. This is prior to the abomination of desolation, the start of the great tribulation, okay? It's prior to that. Uh, also, these martyrs are crying out for vengeance against the earth dwellers. We see that in 6.10, that how long before our blood is going to be avenged? It seems that the earth dwellers are those, uh, those mentioned in chapter 24, verse 10, Matthew 24.10. Many will be offended and be, be, will betray one another and hate one another. Now, what I'm suggesting here is that there's going to be people turning in people in the tribulation because they aren't doing what the Antichrist wants them to do. This thing of telling on people is very common. It certainly happened in Nazi Germany where people were telling on, on somebody for hiding the Jews. That's why people went into concentration camps like Cory Ten Boom. Their families tried to hide Jews. It happens in China. It happens in Iran. And I want you to think about something. Those are on big scales. But it's even happening today in America with, on a much smaller scale when we're dealing with masks and social distancing and people turning people in. Because, oh, they're not wearing a mask at that store. John, ask John MacArthur or ask Rob McCoy as they're being spied on as people are not wearing masks or not properly social, at least what they judge to be properly social distancing. It's something strange. When people get indoctrinated, they tend to do things that are strange and think they're doing what is right. Now, I want you to think about something. Why were these people killed? Why were these people killed? They were slain for the word of God and the testimony that they held. They were slain for their witness to the world around them. Under the threat of death, hear this, under the threat of death, these people were still witnessing. They would not be silenced. Now, how does anybody do that? How does anybody, you think you're going to just have the courage to say, oh, I'm going to be the one that stands up? It's real easy when you're in a safe place like this. It's a whole lot harder when you've got a mob on you like we see on TV from time to time and be a witness for the Lord. How do you do it? Well, Acts 1.8 tells us, Jesus says this, you shall receive power, dunamis power, dynamite power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive strength at the time to do the impossible. And then he goes on to say, you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you'll only do it through the Holy Spirit's power. You will not do it on your own. Martyrdom is happening all over the world today. We've been through this many times. You know, because you've been here, that there's more martyrs in the 20th century than at any time in the history of the world. All the time of the world up to the 20th century, there's more now than all that time period up to the 20th century. We just don't see it. We live in a Christian nation and we've been protected because we've been in a Christian nation. That no longer exists. America is decidedly post-Christian. And what happens with post-Christianity? Generally, some sort of persecution comes in. North Korea... In North Korea, just some examples. There's a whole list of these. But I'll give you just a few. North Korea, 
Christians are considered hostile elements to be eradicated. Afghanistan, Christianity is not allowed to exist. Somalia, Christians are high-valued targets. Libya, face abuse and deadly violence. The Sudan, they are targeted for persecution. And it goes on and on. And this will accelerate to an off-the-charts level when Antichrist comes to power. The martyrs will be off the chart. Now let me ask you a question. How does someone become saved, born again, part of God's family in an environment like that? It's that hostile. There's an answer to this, and you're going to get the complete answer next week when we talk about the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are unleashed on the world. That is how it will happen. They will be witnesses, and they will be so effective. We see them in, in Revelation 7, 9, that a great multitude out of every tribe, tongue, and nation is saved. I think it's the greatest revival in the history of the world during the worst time in the history of the world. Isn't it amazing what God is? He's so merciful. He's going to save a whole bunch of people. It says in 7.14 exactly who these people were. These are the ones that came out of the tribulation. Now, things are getting a little bit more difficult in America. Would you agree? It's getting more difficult. But we are still free to witness. We are still free to witness. And this is important. Sharing Jesus is not an option for the Christian. It is a command. Remember, it's the Great Commission. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things I have commanded. Jesus, says, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Witness. We are called to be witnesses, to testify about Jesus and his love. All of us are. Not just the person that has the gift of being a witness. Not just a person that has that, that, that evangelistic gift. It's for all of us to be involved with this. John chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. John the Baptist is a good example. John speaks about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God. We're all sent from God. Whose name was John. Place your name there. This man came for a witness for, of the light that all through him might believe. Folks, we are called, every one of us, to be a witness to the light. Now, where do we do that? Just on Sunday morning when we show up? No, we do it in our homes. We do it at work. We do it with our friends. We do it when we go to the grocery store. We do it, we, we represent Christ wherever we go. What does that mean to me? I can't act like me. I have to act like Christ. I have to make more and more. They must not see the fleshly side of me. And so I must conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So they came as, we come as a witness to the light. Now, witness is simply a pointer. We're pointing people to Jesus. The Greek word is martyrio, and it means to declare or confirm facts of an event. It comes from the root word martus, from where we get our word martyr. And it may even mean to the death. And like many people in the world today, that is a fact. But think about something. For those who are martyrs, for those who give their life for the cause, Jesus has promised them something very special. And you know what that is? That's the crown of life. In Revelation chapter 2, verse, verse 10. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Speaking to the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church. The other thing I want you to notice is that there's, these souls are before the throne of God. They're before the altar in heaven. 
That means that there's, that's where they exist. There is a segment of Christianity that believes in soul sleep. That when you die, you go into the grave and you simply sleep until the resurrection. This tells me that no, no, there's souls that are in heaven. Absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Yeah, you guys are good Bible students. So what are we told? Rest a little longer. What is he telling us when he says rest a little longer? Something that we don't do very well as American Christians, and that is be patient. Be patient. And a white robe was given to each of them. Let me ask you a question. You remember this in, in Revelation 3. Who gets the white robe? These are overcomers. Overcomers is the word Nikeo. Remember Nike. It's where they get the word Nike. These are victors. These are true believers clothed in the righteousness of Christ. These folks are asked to do something that is very difficult, and that is for us to wait. Wait. We're a microwave society. I mean, the microwave's even slow. I mean, how long is this minute and 30 seconds going to take before my stuff is warmed up? I can't believe it. This is taking forever. Yeah. Remember, it's all about God's timing, not ours. We must learn to be patient. Look, what do I learn from this? What I've learned in my life is try, don't run ahead of God. Don't run ahead of God. Keep in step with God. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Don't try to manipulate God to try to get your way, to get things to happen. Okay, so Saul tried to do that, didn't he? In 1 Samuel chapter 13, he was, told by, he was told by Samuel to wait, and he said, I waited the appointed time, and you're still not here, Samuel, so I'm going to do my thing. And he usurped the priest's position, and he went, and he started to do the slaughter of his enemies, and, Saul, and Samuel shows up immediately and goes, what are you doing, Saul? What are you doing? He says, I'm doing what I, what, what I was supposed to do. Oh, no. You moved too quickly. You ran ahead of God, and the kingdom was taken from him. We must keep in step with the Spirit in our lives. Not lag behind, not run ahead, but keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there's, a, there's something we want to remember with this. While we are waiting, never forget this. God is fulfilling his purposes in your life. While we are waiting, God is fulfilling his purposes in our life. There's a lesson here. Whatever you're going through that you believe you need relief from right now. Now, when you're going through something, does anybody say, I'll take some relief three months from now? That will be fine with me, God. Just let it go for three. No, we want it right now. And I'm right in that book, and I, right in that, that group. And I, I think we have the right to say, Lord, I would like relief right now, but please help me. But you must realize he has purposes that he is working out. Remember, when you're going through something, that you are not the lone ranger. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? He, he fought against the Baal gods. He, he was then persecuted by Jezebel. He goes and he runs, and he, and he says, I'm the only one left, God. And God says, oh no, I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bent the knee to Baal. You're not the Lone Ranger. And anything you're going through, you're not the only one. God's delays, his timing are for a reason. So what are we to do? Rest a little longer and wait. Still your spirit and trust God. The only way that you can still your spirit, and if we were in a Sunday school class, I'd ask that question, and you would answer this way, men know, I must dwell in Jesus. Make my home. That's the only way that I can find rest in this thing. 
Verse 12 through 14, the sixth seal, cosmic disturbances. Now, let me just preface this. There are people that are called preterist. It comes from the word praetor, and it means happened in the past. And this is a, a large group of Christendom that believes that all the things that we're going to be reading about in, in into the future, chapter 6 through 18, happened at the time of Jerusalem being overthrown in 70 AD. So from 64 to 70 AD in that time frame, these things were all fulfilled. Now you tell me if this happened in Jerusalem in 64 to 70 AD. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Didn't happen. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. Nope, that didn't happen. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. That is some pretty dramatic stuff. Pretty dramatic. Now, how many of you realize that God does things on a grand scale? Just look at the creation. It's grand. The expanse of the heavens. The, when you go out to Colorado or you go out to the to Grand Canyon, just the expanse of it all. God does things on a grand scale. Preterists have a huge problem. The cosmic disturbances are future. They are future. They didn't happen in the past. God is getting the earth dwellers' attention. God does dramatic things to wake up humanity. And I think that he's waking up America today. The problem is we're still sleeping. The majority are still sleeping, not acknowledging that God's getting our attention. This is mind-blowing. A great earthquake where every mountain and island were moved out of its place. The sun becoming black. This is the second of five blackouts that happened in the end time. The moon becoming as blood. The stars of heaven fall to the earth. Two times we see stars fall. One is here, and one is when Jesus returns at the at second coming when he returns in Matthew 24, 29 through 31. And again, the sun and the moon were created for signs in Genesis 1, 14. It's telling us who's in control, who's really running things, who's really active on earth. The moon became like blood. Now, some people feel that there's going to be asteroids hitting the earth, a great up, upheaval of dust, and the moon becomes red. That could happen. Let's focus on the stars for just a second. The, the word stars is the word asterisk. It's from which we get our word asteroids. Asteroids, I believe, will be bombarding earth. In Revelation 8.10, we see the third trumpet. It says this, Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, just like an asteroid would look, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. And that's what the word means, bitter, poisonous. It's, it eventually causes death as it contaminates the water. Now, there's a prediction from NASA scientists that in 2029, and they've actually pinpointed the date, April 13th, 2029, there's an asteroid, a giant one, that is predicted to come close to planet Earth. And they have a name for it. But I'm wondering if that name is really Wormwood. One little course change, and it could be something significant. Why does God do something so devastating? Why does he do that? 
I can tell you, we've already answered, to get the attention of the earth dwellers in hopes that they will repent and turn to him. God is showing everyone that he exists. I am here. Turn to me. This is your last chance. Things are changing on earth. Turn. He uses these cosmic events. Now, I don't know if you recall, but I bet most of you do what, what you were doing on 911. And do you remember how you felt when you saw those towers come down? And they took the pictures of those people that were right there. And do you remember what they look like? You're going to see a picture right here. This is people absolutely astounded by what they are seeing. Can you imagine what people will be saying and how they will be looking when you see something like this happen? That was minuscule. This is global. Take a look at that. It's an amazing thing. And so many people, even under this harshest of conditions, don't turn to God. They hide themselves from God. They don't turn to God. That takes us to verses 15 and 16. The earth dwellers run from God instead of turning to God. Verse 15 and 16. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man. You know who that is? That's everybody. Everybody. Why? Because earth dwellers don't know God. They're hiding from God. They hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now this is the first time we see the word wrath of the Lamb given in the, in, in the book of Revelation. Hold on to that thought for just a second. People generally respond one of two ways to a disaster or a crushing blow or some unexpected thing that comes into your life. One of two ways we will, we will respond. I would say many people shake their fist at God and say, what is going on, God? How can you do this to me, God? Why did you allow this to happen? That is a common way that people respond. A second way is this. People will turn to God, run to him for comfort. What is important is this. We all experience crushing blows. And I would suggest that we generally don't know why these things are happening. It causes us to doubt. But one day, everything will be made clear. Everything will be made clear. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now, he's talking about spiritual gifts of tongues, knowledge, and prophecy. That it'll be made clear what these things are. But I'm extrapolating from that that God will make clear everything. We will know instantly. How do I know that? Because we will be like him. We will know him. We'll be like him, as it says in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be like him. We're going to have knowledge off the charts. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 13, 12? Now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then I shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. I only see partially now. I'm making opinions on God, seeing through this fractured mirror, and I can't see clearly. God sees the beginning from the end, and I see fractured. There will be a day when I will see clearly. All will be made clear. But in the meantime, while we are here, While we are here, like the prophets of old, trust Him. Trust Him. 
Genesis 18.25, Abraham is, is dumbfounded because God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And it goes through all those numbers, 50, 40, 30. There's just 10 left, and there's not. And then Abraham says this, Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? That's what we can trust. When I don't understand what in the world is going on, I can trust that God has a history. Will not my God, the judge of all the earth, do what is right? Second thing is Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. Moses said this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There's only things that he knows and he's not going to reveal to us. But the things that, that, which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. There are things revealed to us. We walk in the knowledge that he's given us. But there's things we just don't know. They're secret. We won't know them until we get to heaven. There are many things that God has chosen not to reveal. And listen to this. God does not owe us an explanation. Now, don't you feel, God should be telling me exactly what's going to happen. No, that is not how it works. We are finite and he is infinite. God is infinite and we are not. He is all-knowing and we are not. We simply don't have the capacity to take in everything that God knows. So while I am here, I must do the words of his law, meaning trust him in his word, no matter how things turn out here. I'm not going to understand things on this plane. But believe me, he has a purpose that he's working out. In our verse today, we see worldwide calamity. And you notice that no one is exempt, rich and poor, great, the awesome, the insignificant of the earth. No one's insignificant before God, but at least in the eyes of humanity. Everyone, listen, into all of our lives, crushing blows come. No one is exempt. No matter how much we might try to, try to be safe and exempt ourselves, isolate ourselves from any potential harm, none of us are exempt. And the question is, when it comes to your house, when it hits you, are you going to hide from God? Or are you going to turn to God? That remains to be seen, doesn't it? God's desire is for people to turn to Him. We know definitely in salvation... Remember Ezekiel 18.23, Do I have any pleasure that the wicked should perish and not turn and live? He said in, in Psalm 103, verses 8-14, through 14, he tells us these wonderful words, The Lord is merciful and gracious. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you really believe that? The Lord is merciful and the Lord is gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in, in mercy. And I can tell you, I believe that 100%. It's not a 99. It's not a 99.9. It is 100 he is slow to anger and he's abounding in love because that's how he treated me. I should have been squashed like a little gnat a million different times. And he was gracious to me. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. God is gracious. He bears with us. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he's taken our sins from us. That's a big deal. That's a great thing. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows us. He knows our frame. And he remembers that we are dust. He's gracious to us because of how little we are. We're just dust. And we think we're so big and important. He's gracious 
He's kind. He has a heart of mercy. But there is a day when God says, no mas, no more. And his wrath is poured out. Verse 17, the day of wrath has come. We're on the home stretch. Here we go. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's a great question. Who is able to stand against the wrath of God? No angel, no demon, no antichrist, no false prophet, no earth dweller. Nobody can stand against the wrath of an omnipotent, powerful, sovereign God. For the great day of his wrath has come. Many people believe that this is when the rapture occurs because it's the first time we see the word wrath in Revelation. Okay? And everything prior to this was not his wrath, but it was the wrath of Antichrist. This places the, uh, the rapture at either the mid-tribulation point, so you'd be a mid-trib person, or a pre-wrath rapture towards the end of the tribulation. We'll look at Andy Wood's handout again. These are the four views. A pre-tribulation rapture means that we get taken out before the seven-year period starts. The mid-tribulation that happens in the mid-part. Post-tribulation means that Jesus comes back at the end of the, tri- at the, end of the tribulation period. The people are resurrected, and then they come into the millennium. All happening at the very, very end. And the pre-wrath, you're going through all of the trumpet. You go through the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and some of the bold judgments, and then, boop, you get to get out of here just near the very end. Now, I wanted you to consider some things. This has been controversial, uh, and there are really very good arguments that can be made for other views. Please understand that. I'm not saying we have all the answers to this. However, this is something to consider. Tommy Ice, a pre-tribulation rapture proponent, has noted the following. For the great day of his wrath has come. Now he breaks down the Greek words here. The word has come is the aorist indicative. Now what does that mean? It's Greek to me, right? It's Greek to you. What does it mean? Well, the aorist tense simply means something has occurred. Past. Has occurred. Something that has taken place already. The indicative mood means that an action has occurred or it's going to happen. It will happen. Now, Robert Thomas has further expanded on this. Putting it all together, he puts it this way. This will come up on your screen. Bear with me as I read this. Try to concentrate on what I'm reading here. Mankind in his rebellion correctly analyzes the cosmic and terrestrial disturbances as a part of the great end-time day of wrath, from the one sitting on the throne and from the Lamb. The verb elthian, has come, is aorist indicative, referring to a previous arrival of wrath, not something that is about to take place. Men see the arrival of this day at least as early as the cosmic upheavals that characterize the sixth seal. The men see this. But upon reflection... They probably recognize that it was already in effect with the death of one-fourth of the population, the worldwide famine, and the global warfare. The rapid sequence of all these events could not escape notice, but in light of their true explanation, does not dawn upon human consciousness until the severe phenomenon of the sixth seal arrives. 
Now, what does this mean to me? Now, this might not mean this to you, but this is what it means to me. That the wrath described encompasses all the seals, the four horsemen, the cosmic events. It's a strong argument for a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I want to ask you this question. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, remember, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who remain shall be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall ever be with the Lord. That is a rapture verse. The verse right after that, verse 18, says, comfort one another with these words. Let me ask you, do you are you comforted by going through to the mid-tribulation point and having 1.7 billion people killed? Are you comfortable with that? Or going almost to the end, and there's another 1.7, half of earth ends up dying in this whole thing. Does that bring any comfort to you? The pre-tribulation rapture view is the only one that brings comfort to the believer. That's just something to think about. And again, I don't want you to miss this. I don't have all wisdom. I don't have all knowledge on this. There's great arguments made against the argument that I'm giving. But there are learned scholars who disagree with this position. In the end, now hear this, and I'm not want to be flippant with this. In the end, it really will not matter. Why am I saying that? Because we will make it home safely. John 14, 3, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. We will make it home. Whatever the timing is, we will make it home. And this is a good thing to know. A good thing to know. We will have no recollection of our past time on earth. Now, now that's like, that's, that's not an, just, just a casual statement. That's a hip, hip, hooray statement. More on that in just a second. Uh, Isaiah 65, 17 says this, For behold, God speaking, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind or come to my heart. I will have no recollection of this existence. Therefore, who is right or who is wrong on these things will not matter in eternity. Can, I, can somebody say amen? I mean, we, we, it won't matter. In other words, you hear people say, well, I get raptured on the way up. I'm going to be saying, I told you so, okay? No, that's not going to happen. Because boom, this is all going to be done. We're not going to, where was I? How did I get here? I'm here. Oh, great, we're here. Yeah, you're not going to remember this past thing. I'll tell you, that's good news. You know why it's good news? John Corson says this, the new heaven and the new earth will be so wonderful that we will not recall our life on earth. He says, this is good news, for heaven would not be heaven if we were lamenting for eternity the loss of loved ones who chose contrary to God and are separated from him forever. God does something, folks, to our minds. So we won't remember this existence. Heaven would not be heaven if you're lamenting the passing of someone who is not there with you. Now that is grace, and that is mercy. Closing, how long, how long? Well, I think it's on the horizon. Okay, it could be on the horizon, it could be years, so who knows? This is our time, folks. 
And this is the best of times. If God gave you a time, it's the best of times. We are here for this epoch of time for such a time. There is no accident that you were born in this time frame. Do not waste the time that God has given to you. And you know what time is like. Time marches on, doesn't it? Time waits for no man. All you have to do is look in the mirror and you realize time has passed you by, dude. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. Time can be frittered away. Time can be wasted. And I think that worrying and fretting about what is going on in our world today, in our country today, in the election today, in the economy today, is a waste of time. It's going to get more difficult as we get closer to the end. We know this. Jesus has told us this. He wants his people to be prepared. So don't get into the what-ifs of life. Oh, what if this happens? Oh, what if this person gets elected? Oh, what if, this, what if it doesn't stop in the streets and a lawlessness spreads to my neighborhood? Oh, I'll bite your nails. You know? No, we are to live that way. Our world always goes about, you're watching the news, and on the news, the sky is falling all the time. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Don't waste your time on worry. Do not waste your time on worry. Now, I have a picture here. Is this what you look like to the world around you? (laughs) Now, Evan, Isaiah doesn't look quite like this, okay? (laughs) But he does have some concern in his face. (laughs) Yeah. Does the world see you like this, Christian? I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. (laughs) No, that is not how our posture should be. You're going to see how our posture should be at the end as we move on with this. I lost my place. Where's the picture at here? Yeah, here he is. Worried about face. Okay. Now, Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Matthew 6, 34. And by the way, this is a command. This is written in the imperative. In the Greek, that's a command. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry. Don't project into the future. And you know, Jesus... He knew, he's the only one that knew exactly what was, he was facing. He knew he would be rejected. He knew that there was going to be deception, that there was going to be desertion. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew that he was going to be on the cross, experiencing all the physical pain of that. And he also knew that he'd be taking all the sins of the world. And at some point, he'd be separated from his father. He'd feel the separation from his father. Let me correct that. And he would have this absolute abandoned feeling. And yet he did not live One second with worry. He knew exactly what was going to happen. We don't. All we do is project. Oh, what if this happens? No, no. We we want to live like Jesus. So the Jesus way in dealing with life is trust God no matter what. The cure for worry, and I always call these worry intruders because they come in every day, every day, is to trust God. Remember Richard Farmer, what he said? I will trust God. In the Lord until I die. That's right. That's right. I will not be incapacitated with worry. I'm not going to walk around with the, the frown. I'm going to do the best. I, I Look, I'm the frowning baby up there unless the Spirit of God is in me. Okay? That's how we have to walk, with the rod of iron up our spines. And would you agree that time is indeed a strange thing? Time is an earth thing. God is outside of time. 
Before God created, there was no time, space, or matter. And you know what God said? Let there be light. And boom, time, space, matter. That quick. When you start to think that God is slow, now, would, have you ever felt that? Let's be honest. You can't lie. He knows. I felt that God is slow. I mean, come on, God. I mean, can't you see that this is what's happening right now? Yeah, when you think God is slow and he doesn't care, remember, he is not in our time domain. He transcends his creation. God sees the beginning from the end like a parade. We set in time and we watch the parade go by us our lifetime. But he sets outside of time, sees all of our lifetimes, beginning from end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning from the end. He sees it all. He has it all under control. Trust him. Trust him. And know this, God cares. You know how I know he cares? He entered this, he proved it by entering this domain, this time domain. And he became one of us. Now, how would you like to die now, this is going to be a kind of a crude example. For the cockroaches of the world. Because he came and died for us. That's the distance between us and God. Ants, some lower life. And he became like us to die for us, to be one of us. And he knows exactly the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. Jesus knows. In Galatians 4, 4, at the perfect time, God came. You know that they were looking for Messiah? When's Messiah coming? When's, he's got to be coming soon. When's, and then at the t- perfect time, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son. If you don't remember anything in this talk, remember this. God is not slow. He's always on time. That is what we have to remember. What this means to me, I have to get in sync with his time frame. The trust the one who sees the beginning from the inning. One day, Listen, this is going to actually happen. One day we will no longer be asking, how long, Lord, how long? For we too will inhabit eternity. And there will be no more clock. No more time. It's just endless with our God. Who we live, will live with him forever. And think about this. Our days are determined by God. And the time that God returns to rescue us are determined by God. His, we, our, our days are numbered, folks. We are given a certain lot of days. That's it. Psalm 139.16 tells us, As your eyes saw my substance, yet, yet unformed, and in your book all were written, the days fashioned for me, David says, when as yet there were none of them. Your days of coming into this world and going out of this world are exact. It says in Job 14.5, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass this. You've appointed his limits. So take advantage of the time that God has given you. Instead of how long, God, may we ask God, what do you want me to do with the time you've given me? What do you want me to do with this time that you've given me? Jesus knew. In John chapter 9, verse 4, you know what he said? I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day, while I have life, while I have time. For the night is coming. Time's gone. The night is coming when no one can work. Allow me to close with this quote from a guy named Lloyd Corey. 
Time is, in, time is significant because it is so rare. It is completely irretrievable. You can never repeat it or relive it. There is no such thing as a literal instant replay. That appears only in film. It travels alongside us every day, yet its eternity is wrapped up in it. Although this is true, time often seems relative, doesn't it? And I think it does. For an, it gives an example. For an example, two weeks of vacation is very different than two weeks on a diet. Yeah, I think so. Also, some people can stay longer in an hour than others can in a week. We, we understand that. Ben Franklin said of time that it is the stuff life is made of. Time forms life's building blocks. The philosopher William James once said this. Hear this. The great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. Spend your life on something that will outlast your life. Pour into your children. Pour into your God. Pour into the ministry and the work that he's called you to do. Each one of us has a calling. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Aren't you crying that in your heart? How long, O oh Lord? And I don't know for sure. Could be five seconds. Could be five minutes. It could be five days. It could be five months. It could be 50 years. It could be 500 years. We don't know. But I'm sensing that we're almost there. There are too many signs happening in this epoch of time that are congruent with the Word of God. And I can just hear the Father saying, not much longer, child, not much longer. And him saying to Jesus, get ready to fetch your bride. Wouldn't that just be, we're the bride of Christ. Get ready to fetch your bride. You're almost here, church. Keep going. Don't give up and press on. May the world not see us this way. Okay, remember that? Don't let the world see us this way, but allow the world to see us this way. That's what we want right there. Isn't that great? I'll tell you, that's a, such a beautiful picture. Both of them are, but I like the smiley face. Folks, Jesus is coming. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please, this is your chance. You've heard the Word of God. You heard, you know that he died on the cross from your sins. He buried for three days. He rose again. He's coming back. All the signs are there. Choose to believe and receive the gift of life. I plead with you. If you've never done that, this is your moment. Now, Father, we do pause for just a moment with our hearts and our minds focused on you, saying thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the Lord Jesus coming to this earth, the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you that he died on the cross for my sins and took all of my sin debt, and he took all of your wrath. Thank you that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can live with you forever, clean and pure and holy because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that that blood is applied to every believer's life. And now you see us clean as you see your son. We thank you for the wonderful gift of the Lord Jesus. And now, Father, we ask you to help us, to strengthen us, to be your representatives while here. You've put us here for such a time as this. We are your followers. We are your church. We are to have a voice 
that tells people about the love of our God and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this service, and thank you for the time that you've allowed us to gather together as the church of God. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.